0: Hello and welcome to the 44th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This week we're talking to Rebecca Raper, PhD candidate in machine ethics and consultant in ethical AI at Oxford Brookes University. We talk about moral machines and why make them, morals as constraints, AI and moral capacity, approaches to machine ethics and what machine ethics is, machine moral ontologies, legislation uh, versus innovation, face tracking and much much more you can find more episodes at machine-ethics.net if you'd like to support us you can go to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics you can also find us on twitter instagram and you can email us at hello at machine-ethics.net thanks again for listening and hope you enjoy hi rebecca thanks for joining me on the podcast if you could please introduce yourself, uh, tell me who you are and what you do.
1: Uh, I'm Rebecca Raper. I'm a PhD candidate at Oxford Brookes University. The title of my research is Autonomous Moral AI. So that's basically looking at how we can create artificial intelligence agents that are able to reason morally.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so the, that is kind of like the it um, gets into the um, the nub of the, the Machine Ethics podcast. Um, I uh, anecdotally originally thought of the the name the Machine Ethics podcast, thinking it was a nice sort of way of describing the kinds of things I'd be talking about, not really knowing that there was actually this academic field, which was called Machine Ethics. And not soon afterwards, I, I learned about that and, and got fascinated with this idea that you've, you're studying yourself, which is about, artificial moral agents how how do we how do we create these things uh, you know what do they do how how do they interact with us all these sorts of questions right um so let's just before we go there and explore that kind of uh, remit could you just try and articulate to you what is ai what is artificial intelligence
1: yeah so i guess before i start i want to kind of say i'm from a philosophy background so my understanding in, of artificial intelligence Is more along the lines of literally just trying to create human level intelligence in a machine. I think that it's just as simple as that. So when you're trying to create autonomous moral agents, it's how do you create the human moral capacity in a machine?
0: Yeah. So presumably if you have AI they are human-like in their intelligence at that point anyway. So do you, do you think that they, these things come in hand in hand, that when you have, I'm almost like going down a rabbit hole straight off the bat, but if you're saying that um, the original intent of AI was to create human-like intelligent um, machines or artificial things, agents, whatever the kind of material of that is, um do you think that they have to be somewhat moral to or or exhibit some of these kind of human-like behaviours, like uh, having some sort of ethical framework to, to, to operate?
1: So I think you can kind of, this is just my own opinion, you can draw a distinction between trying to capture intelligence in a machine and trying to capture human capacities in a machine. I think if you... Define intelligence as maybe the ability to learn new information or ability to problem solve. Then I think it's a little, it's distinct from trying to create something that has moral capacity, where maybe morals could be seen more as linked to empathy or intuitive responses. So I don't think artificial intelligence is ne- necessarily needs to be moral.
0: Yeah. That's that's a good decision. So it's kind of like a facet of of intelligence, but it doesn't mean that it begets uh, intelligence begets morality.
1: I don't I don't even know it's a facet of intelligence. I think you can uh, maybe this this might be controversial, but you can view them as separate kind of capacities. So when you think of what Turing was trying to do, yep. Um, yep. he was trying to replicate a kind of thought process or the process of um repeatability in a way so that is just one capacity of or one facet of the human mind um whereas the emotional aspect i think i see that as a separate it could be regarded as a something entirely separate
0: in, in reference to the the turing example what was that a specific um set of research that he did because obviously he's done a lot in this area right what was that in reference so- to
1: so I'm just referring to computing machines. Is the idea of computationality? Yeah. Um, I've not done too much research. I just studied that as an undergraduate, really. So I can't, um Yeah, I studied. I studied that in my logic modules.
0: Yeah, so I won't push you on that. But like, I think it's somewhat the idea of being able to compute, right?
1: Yeah, so Turing machines. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, one of one of my previous um podcast interviewees would say they would almost term that as um emotional intelligence right so you've got maybe you have a, a set of or, or kind of a intelligence which can do stuff in the world and can do actions and, and maybe that kind of um also extends to keeping that entity alive or operating and then maybe emotional intelligence is another way of thinking about how that entity interacts
1: so I don't, I don't know entirely what you mean by emotional intelligence. Part of the problem with um, ascribing morality with the emotions or just purely with the emotions is that you can end up falling into um, what's known in philosophy as like emotivism, the idea that moral actions are just simply emotional responses to situations, and that's not... I don't think that's strictly what morality is either. I think there is some kind of cognitive thought process when we make moral decisions.
0: That makes it kind of more mechanical in that sense.
1: Yeah, I think part of the difficulty with trying to create a moral machine is that it's not entirely mechanical either. So it's not something you can just program in. It does have that kind of fuzzy component to it. But then if you go down the line of saying that Um, morals are just emotional responses then you end up kind of saying that there aren't any universal morals and everyone's moral reaction is just as important as the other as another person's moral reaction or that um, it's fine for people to have certain yeah so you can end up in a dangerous situation
0: by doing that it's it's kind of like an anarchist position sort of thing or or nihilist position where Everything yeah. is important, and nothing therefore is important sort of thing um so let let's go there let's uh, let's do machine ethics. Could you give us a brief um, introduction to you know what the machine ethics podcast was alluding to when it um you know what is machine ethics essentially and uh, what are the kind of the broad ideas that encompass uh, machine ethics
1: so machine ethics i guess you thought of the name because you were thinking of robots and ethics Mm -hmm. Um, so ethical ethical ai is a really broad area um which literally just concerns the ethics pertaining to artificial intelligence that's kind of got two subcategories where you're looking at artificial intelligence and how you might use it in a good way or maybe regulate it or policies surrounding it. But then you also have what's known as artificial intelligence explicitly making ethical decisions. And that's about how a robot itself can decide between right and wrong. So it kind of one of the first people to talk about moral machines is Isaac Asimov. Um, He talked about in his stories, he invented the laws of robotics they quite popularly known. Recently, there's been an interest in, because artificial intelligence is becoming more sophisticated, the thought is it needs to have some constraint in the same way that humans are constrained, and that constraint would be morals in order to prevent it doing something wrong.
0: Interesting. So uh, um, I, when you were talking about Asimov, I was smiling, but obviously our audience can't see that. Um, but the the idea that it's about um constraints is an interesting idea is cuz i feel like it's um surely it can't all be about constraining it should be about it could be about you know this idea of safety in that remit but also about um, what it means for things to be interacting morally whether it's for safety or not um you know just generally uh, it's, it's almost kind of like um difference between applied maths and pure maths it's it's almost for like the the not the fun of it but the the pure reason part and then the applied part uh, do you think that's the case or is, you know there are other reasons for doing this
1: so this is something I've been puzzling with recently when I've kind of been in um in the position of oh no should I even be doing this PhD what's the point of doing my PhD um, while I was thinking what what is the point of creating a moral machine I think you can kind of take a philosophical your mathematic type approach and try and answer what does it mean to be moral, um, which I think are important questions, but ultimately it's, and then you've kind of got the lower level constraints as well, but I think it's a mixture of both actually. So taking a pragmatic approach and finding out, um, yeah, what's, what is the reason we're creating moral agents in the first place? and then how do we solve that problem
0: yeah and um I actually as i think i mentioned um, i actually wrote on a paper a a paper which was a rebuttal to someone's some academic saying that you know machine ethics shouldn't shouldn't be researched and, and shouldn't be um given grant funding uh, and the rebuttal was um, kind of picking up on the points in their argument and just kind of having you know alternative situations and and trying to go into um, why this might be um, beneficial just purely for kind of academic reasons a bit on the pure math side as my example um, to to kind of understand more about ourselves in this endeavor is quite useful Um, but also that safety and these terms which often kind of try and override why you might want to do this, actually in circumstances aren't always enough. You know, um, safety concerns may not be enough when you're dealing with robots in people's homes because it might be less about safety and it might be more about um, people's uh, responsibilities and people's reactions and emotions and all these sorts of things. Just to give quite uh, a single example, there are many, many kind of examples that you could give where, if you had this kind of artificial thing, um, that you might want to imbue it with something which was able to intelligently make decisions about the world and, and cooperate with us, which we find, you know, um, adequate morally. Which is a strange way of putting it, but like you know, we co- we cooperate like this in this way, so we're going to have to maybe make things that cooperate with us in a similar way in order for us to trust them, use them um, to be able to gain more from them. Um, do you have anything else uh, to say about that? Or, or, or do you think that's... Well,
1: I think, I think that approach, although... So I, li- I like the idea that
0: as robots become
1: more socially integrated or artificial intelligence becomes more socially integrated into our world, um, it needs to be kind of acting in a way that humans, we'd want humans to be acting, but you can kind of get led into, I think, a trap of then, well, why is just a polite robot not good enough? Um, Why is a robot who mimics our social norms, um, our moral norms, why is that not sufficient? And I think that's a dangerous position to be falling into, because then you're just getting... A robot that's kind of pretending to be moral rather than one that is actually working to the benefit of humanity?
0: I, I think um my rebuttal my counter argument to that is simply indecision. Um I mean there will be many, many examples of indecision which would be problematic. So even just asking for another drink, you know, can I have another drink? And it just going Yes, you may have... You know, politeness is not enough, basically. You know, if you're uh, endangering people's lives because you're going to go in a car and drive away and you're drunk or you're um, going to take one too many pills or you're going to, you know, all sorts of different circumstances, you're going to use daddy's credit card, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, There's our interactions which uh, indecision or, or, or the yes man might not be the correct answer and it's difficult to have a blanket cultural kind of representation which makes sense, which isn't moral basically, which isn't some sort of, um, in my opinion, some sort of kind of distillation of um, a, a moral decision. Um, and that's kind of how I think about it. Um, how how does this stuff kind of, how does your looking into the subject and, and um, working in it, how does that make you change your opinion on what you're doing, but also whether there is an answer, whether that we will get there, basically.
1: So do you think the the problem that you're saying is trying to find something that's culturally sensitive or sensitive to local cultures?
0: No, um, I, I don't know. I think the context-specific thing is quite difficult because obviously a decision that a car makes is going to be different to a decision that a health robot makes. So um people you know philosophers often um some well some philosophers often are trying to look for a general um principle of kind of ethic you know what is what are the universal norms what are the things that um um humans all agree are things that we want uh, and where do those things come from logically um and it, and that's really hard right um yeah. So it might be that we don't get that for artificial intelligence. Um, and it might be, we do so we'd get some sort of programmatic thing, which doesn't have any universal rules, but has a universal way of finding specific rules for its context. Um, maybe that's something that happens, but I can't imagine that the same thing that we put into an automated car will be the same thing that we put into a health robot. But it might be, I just don't know that they're kind of like a, the, the, the practical implementation of these things eludes, um, I guess, the best of us at the moment. I mean, there's lots of experiments happening and lots of research happening. Um, uh, do you ha- do you have any of those um, research in the, in the front of your mind that, that you might want to talk about?
1: Yeah, so I guess the main two approaches that you can think of are kind of the top-down and the bottom-up approaches. So top-down, where you're referring to is getting a philosophical idea and trying to program that into the robot mm. for example consequentialism um that you should act to create the best consequences so you can try and create a robot that acts according to that, that idea um and then you've got the other approaches which are more bottom-up where the robot will using machine learning analyze its environment and be told certain situations are good, certain situations are bad, and develop behavior which is more culturally sensitive or maybe more context-dependent, independent, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you have a problem that it could, if it's in an environment where people are giving it bad information, then it just becomes bad, so which kind of defeats the point, and it also eases, It makes it easier to create a bad robot or bad AI in that situation. I think if you take inspiration from maybe how people are morally, I don't think it happens in either of those ways. People aren't entirely persuaded by the situation they're in, but they're not entirely following a philosophical theory either. They kind of will learn from their environment and maybe learn through experience, but they also will challenge morals within their environment. And I think it's trying to capture that type of capacity when you're creating a moral robot. So that's what I've been thinking of. Mm.
0: So it's like a dual approach.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of reframing the the I think I think philosophy will, has been going for years and years. Ethicists have been looking at what morals are for years, and that's, that's still pursuit that needs to keep going. But what's needed is a more pragmatic way to solve the problem.
0: Uh, and what is the pragmatic uh, solution?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's the hybrid approach. It's, yeah. it's a kind of hybrid approach where you learn from your environment. So the, the approach I i'm taking of what i think is the right way is you receive feedback from your environment but you kind of create a series of laws in cognitively and then you can challenge those laws are open to change so a person might start off believing that something is right but then they they become more sophisticated so then They increase in moral maturity um, and they start to challenge certain things. They challenge um, things that are happening in their environment. Maybe they think certain laws aren't right. And that's how laws come to be changes that people will Mm. question those.
0: So it says the whole kind of structure of the, the learning that they're, they're learning these different kind of rule sets or hierarchies. And, and all of those are open to flux within more experience?
1: It's not learning rules, it's, yeah. it's acquiring knowledge. So I think morals, um, more knowledge can be acquired or can be kind of consumed from the environment. Um, and then what, what I think happens is you kind of create a moral ontology in your conceptually. And Then, if something comes along that challenges that moral ontology, you will question it. Um, perhaps someone has a different moral ontology to you, or they've not got the knowledge that you've got, and you're able to adjust, or they're able to adjust. I don't know if I'm being entirely clear there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm I come from more of a kind of like a technical background so i'm always thinking how the hell would you make this thing right that's the kind of my position like always um so in my mind i was thinking cool that's that you're what you said about the, the distinction is that it's some sort of um formulation of knowledge some sort of like web or graph or some sort of representation of that learning of mm. that information and then addressing that information for action is a kind of like a, a second step. So how would, you know, taking that information and making use of it is actually a, a kind of a, a practical issue as well in, in that context. Well, you know, it's it's good acquiring the knowledge, but you still have to apply it. Um, did you have any kind of formulations of, of how those kind of work together, I guess?
1: So how would you pull from the ontology and how to? So the model I'm working the model I've created is the robot will inter- interact in a game. Um, they receive feedback on their behavior in the game. From that, they develop um, a moral ontology. And then what they do is when they come to interact in the game the next time, they kind of query the ontology and they say, okay, is this the right thing to do? Well, my moral ontology, if I work through all the logic, says yes, no, and they act according to that. So they they would query it each time. And I think that's how that's how we work as humans. Um, I think so. I think there are shortcuts where we might subconsciously, instinctively think something's wrong and just do it, but we often do query our moral ontologies. Um if you think about like issues of abortion, you can, you often, there's lots of debates. There were debates about whether, or whether euthanasia should take place. That's often something that takes place over a long time. Um, And I think that's where you interact with other people and are able to interrogate that moral ontology.
0: Yeah, so you're kind of um, learning from experience and learning from the cultural environment at that point as well. Um. I like the. Am I right in saying that your little robot kind of like tries to do something and then asks itself whether it should do it?
1: No, he thinks I can do A, B, or C, and then he picks. He interrogates his ontology, so he knows what his options are.
0: Yeah, Um, he he basically tries each option against his ontology, essentially.
1: So in the first place, he he learns. So it's kind of an exploration, um, like. A robot might learn how to grab an object. Or like how a baby might learn um, like which blocks to put in the right shape, which shape block to put in. So they might find lots of things in the first instance and make mistakes. But eventually it's kind of conditioned to create the right response. I think what's important is that the... The robot works within it's within a safe environment. So when you, when a child's younger, we don't um, we wait until they certain moral maturity before they're allowed to decide to join the army or make certain moral decisions, or before you let them play outside. Or um, so you keep them within a safe environment, um, and they learn within that safe environment before then going forward and applying that
0: knowledge. But of course, we're we're talking about kind of artificial things. So so interestingly enough, I guess, once you've created that perfect or good enough representation within that particular robot or artificial agents uh, ontology, then you can just duplicate it across any new one and just go, well, we don't have to do any of that training exploration again. We can just go, this is it if you need to learn more stuff, to go learn more stuff, but you, you've actually started from all this knowledge.
1: So I think that what's quite interesting is that the ro- each robot would have a different ontology based upon what experiences they've had. So like a human, each you could say that um, as, as humans, we could just take a, an 80-year-old person and just listen to what wo- wise words they have, mm. and we should follow those. I think that's like saying that if we just took a mature robots ontology and placed it elsewhere um i think each each set of experiences is as important as the other as another one
0: okay so they they're all almost creating their own personalities um within that you know w- whatever the capabilities are
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah um so my challenge to that would be this would be awful for safety right so (laughs) you know the 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 safety people would come at us going well it's not gonna be useful because we won't know what they're gonna do and they're all different and how can we categorically say anything about their behavior And, and do you have anything to say about that within that specific research that you're doing or
1: so I've not this is something that I've only just started thinking about I think um what you have to do is you have to verify that what you have created is something that is moral. Um, So you have to like quite rigorously test the robot and do some proof to show that, okay, this is the process that the robot's learning. This is the way they're making their decisions. This will necessarily entail a a moral outcome. Um, So that's where the, the rigorous testing procedure afterwards comes in
0: and, and you mean moral by pertaining to, to some good outcome right in that context because moral can be good and bad right so it, it would be doing yeah, something yeah, but, good in, for whatever
1: yeah some beneficial or i've not really thought too much about what the metric would be in that situation um i think not causing harm is a good starting place so safety
0: yeah, and, and, this, and this is where some of the kind of um, top-down approach comes in, I guess, because you've, you obviously have a starting point from which it learns, which is part of kind of the design process, but also mm-hmm. the criterion for passing the, these sorts of metrics is also part of that design as well, and that's sort of a top-down process, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I think at that point you could start to apply consequentialism and you could say well are the consequences good does the robot accidentally hurt people well then it's probably not a very good robot you could probably you could apply lots of different philosophical theories really to dis- to decide whether it's safe or not
0: and that's up to you to kind of make that decision that distinction what you know what is it we're going to use here is it going to be um uh, this consequentialism or is it gonna be some sort of kind of hierarchical thing, some sort of random role <laughs> like you know you could I guess you could do anything at that point.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's up to me. I think that's up yeah, that's up to people to work on. Yeah. Um I think probably beyond the scope of what I'm looking at in my PhD. Um,
0: but if if you took it further, that might be the the kind of next phase if you like.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I was just kind of wondering, kind of um, what are the other similar experiments other people might have done in this vein?
1: So I'm not too aware of experiments using the approach I'm using. I think it's, um, yeah, there haven't been too many in this exact way. Like, so as I spoke about earlier, there's been approaches with the top-down method of trying to... Program things like consequentialism in, into the robot. Um, I know there's a, there's approaches. If you referring to the MIT Moral Machine experiment, which is kind of quite well known, mm. um, what you could do is crowdsource lots of opinions on things like the trolley dilemma, and then just put that into a robot and get the robot to act according to the best. Way, But I think that's problematic because yeah. it's very localised and based on the opinions of which country you're looking at. It's
0: And it's also statistical, right? So it might be hard to actually implement that because it would be kind of like, you know, 60% of these people, they want to do this. But then there's a 40% minority. So actually what you do there is, is kind of more interesting than just looking at the information and transcribing it across to a robot. It's kind of like actually, but what about this minority of their thoughts about this subject?
1: I think it doesn't allow space to interrogate morals either. You're kind of saying that this is right and this is wrong Um, with no space for development or questioning. Um, maybe what you could do is look at some kind of probability um so you could say there's a probability of doing a rather than b because there's a 60 percent people pick that i guess you could look at that i've not thought too much about that kind of approach
0: yeah but then i guess even if you have like 99.999 percent you have that kind of like little outlier of someone who wants to mess with the system or just is disagreeable to that particular thing that still can sneak in there you know unless you you know obviously crank it up um so you might have things which are undesire, like really undesirable um sneaking in if you if you can have created some statistical way of doing it like that i can only like you know off the top of my head presume that that would be the case
1: and for, from a safety perspective that would be quite difficult to manage i think
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: that the robot mind just do something really bad
0: yeah does it kind of gel with the current um trends and themes with machine learning cuz it sounds like um a sort of expert system approach um which um uh, people would like to say is kind of like old ai now but um it's coming it's coming back people i swear it's coming back um but you're you're creating this uh knowledge this graph of knowledge and then you can query that graph for information about um whatever you've set up so different weights and how things are associated um and then you might actually be able to use that information and then um interact with another system or another way of working like a learning system like a a deep um, neural network or some other way of working have you have you kind of looked into what's happening in in the other machine learning trends and and how they might fit in or cooperate.
1: So, what what do you mean by interact with a deep learning system? Do you mean once the um, learning has happened and the um, knowledge has been formed, that would be interrogated by deep learning? Is that?
0: I I'm I'm open to suggestions for sure. Uh, lots of different because there's lots of different things that you could do, I guess. Um, and it'd be, I'm just really interested in. Um, How those those two different kind of operations could play out.
1: So I'm because I'm not from a massively technical background. um, I know a bit about machine learning, but not too much. So I'm using quite a basic reinforcement learning model in order for the robot to learn in the first place. Um, After that, it's just a case of developing using traditional AI really. So I'm trying to combine, but I think you could make it more sophisticated. Um, You could probably, the learning could in the first instance could be made more sophisticated. And then in terms of interrogating the ontology. um, Yeah, I suppose, I guess I've not been thinking too much in terms of that level, but that is probably where I should go next.
0: Yeah, how these things, uh, I mean, and they might not, it might not be obvious how these things might help and they might not. Um, It's just, in my mind, a hybrid of these things might yield something that performs better. But again, we might have the sticky issue of categorically saying something about the system um, without putting it through constant trials to, you know, Safety people have ways of working to go. This is categorically not going to happen. Whereas you wouldn't be able to say that necessarily about that system with um, deep learning and all these things going on, unless you designed it that it couldn't do it.
1: In kind of thinking about the architecture, if it if it always had to interrogate the knowledge, so there's some kind of knowledge representation, you would have noble outcomes. I think. Or you would have you would be able to determine the safety of the outcomes maybe the, I don't yeah, I actually know sorry you
0: can, <laughs> it's okay <you>. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what do you think the and I mean we obviously at the beginning of this conversation we you talked a lot about kind of the 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 progression of AI and how things might be incorporated into the home and other um situations. What's the end game for this type of research for, for the machine ethics community,
1: the end game is a robot that's able to reason, morally reason, um, the way, it, and have a certain degree of sophistication that a human can have. I think the biggest problem, which is the same problem around amongst like all AI is generalizability. Um. So trying to get an AI that out of its specific context so that it can morally reason generally. So having artificial intelligence that you have around the house and like like off films, really, where it can advise you maybe or you can have a conversation with it and it talks to you about what its opinions are, like maybe... Maybe you shouldn't have that drink if you're going to drive. So on a social level, it has that moral aspect.
0: Yeah, and, I, and we might be able to, having that moral aspect might lead to other capabilities, I guess, you know, once you have some sort of knowledge base, which is both maybe more moral, more emotional, or more useful for us to interact with, and also has access to Knowledge on the internet and ways of uh, finding things or reasoning about what we're saying, you know, for for um, for information of that interaction, you might have quite sophisticated communication capability or um, decision c- c- capability because it can all do all these things all at once, basically.
1: So you mean where it's integrating um, intelligence and morality and social socializing yeah 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 so ult- ultimately i think what we're aiming for is just really i think the only we we can go on fictions really um so a robot like r2d2 or the robot from the Jetsons, just ones that are general purpose and can interact with us at a certain level
0: yeah and, and not only just make not only have knowledge, but also be able to reason about that knowledge for what is appropriate at the time and and, and space and stuff like that. It might not be appropriate to tell a minor certain things, even if it asks, and it's able to morally make that distinction.
1: Yeah, and not just um, know that if there are two old people to the right and two babies to the left, that they should follow track A rather than... (laughs)
0: No, <laughs> I think I think that experiment was more a interesting look at how we think about yeah, yeah, this yeah. rather than how it's actually possible to make it happen or how it will be implemented. So I think it was a useful experiment, but I don't think it's actually it has no bearing on uh, aut- um, autonomous vehicles at all. I would say uh, but I'm 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 quite down on it. But
1: <laughs> what do you mean by down on it?
0: I, I'm I'm quite. Um, Negative about that experiment because I don't think it's useful. But.
1: Yeah, no, I I think I think the problem is that lots of people developing autonomous vehicles are focusing in that area. So um, yeah, although it doesn't, it's not helpful. I think people kind of pulled towards it.
0: Yeah, because it's it's easy for us to understand, I guess, because we it looks like we're making decisions about the outcome at that point mm. when it's that's not actually. What will be happening. Um, have you thought much about um, the situational problems and um, conundrums that come up in autonomous cars? Is that that's something that you spent time thinking about with the moral ethics, uh, the machine ethics side? Or, or have you kind of stayed away from that? Because obviously it's a big can of worms.
1: Yeah, I have delved into there a little bit um, and got lost a bit. But I, um, I looked at the trolley problem and why I was trying to articulate um, from a philosophical perspective why it's not useful from an in- engineering perspective that's not how decisions engineering decisions are made and i think that's kind of the biggest reason why it's not useful
0: yeah um and i i would t- definitely concur i actually wrote an article about this um a couple of years ago now and and it's i think it's calmed down a little bit about The trolley problem being in the news and being like would you trust a vehicle to run over your gran whatever and you'd have these strange articles um and i feel like that's calmed down a little bit now but it used to kind of like uh, send shivers down my spine every time i I saw anything like that it's not how it works
1: i think it's calmed down a bit but i think i think the hype's gone but it's still kind of used as a test for having created a moral it's kind of used as a safety test which i think is a dangerous thing um when i see articles about autonomous vehicles they mention that well they're not good enough at the moment because they made the wrong decision in this kind of situation but actually that's not how we should be testing autonomous vehicles i don't think
0: yeah and and do you have like a, a another kind of alternative way that they should <laughs> should happen or
1: I think tests I think they should be tested in how engineering products are tested generally, by kind of risk mitigation, and by doing looking at the impact of certain things happening and by requirements engineering, I think that's how. So by a combination of validation and verification. I think that's how they should be tested and i think that would um ultimately show whether they're safe to go on the road i think the problem is um by just seeing whether if you have a series of trolley problems you're going to be limited by how many problems you can articulate so it's ultimately you might a car might pass all the tests and then you send it out on the road and then there are three old people on track A and yeah. so there's slight variation and it doesn't know how to do. And that's that's linked to the general to the problem of generalizability really. Yeah.
0: I mean, how many grannies do you have to run over?
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm 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 being a bit mean to
0: them. <laughs> um yeah, and if it's not grannies, it's cats and dogs, isn't it, in the, in these uh, experiments.
1: Or oh, sporty people
0: sporty people, is that right?
1: Yeah, that was one of the examples that okay. in the we um, did the tests online.
0: It's it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, I've I've got definite feelings about these sorts of things, and um a lot of that has come through other episodes. So if if people want to dive into more autonomous trolley problem stuff, then and then go back and, and listen to some more episodes because it it crops up again and again and again, um in AI ethics and machine ethics and roboethics stuff um so do you have you've obviously been speaking uh, about machine ethics um specifically do you have any thoughts about kind of the other side of the coin and the more the roboethics side the the use and the legislative positions do you have any kind of strong feelings
1: yes so i do work with my we have an institute for ethical ai at my university um, I do some work with them at the moment I'm looking at how a, a big problem is AI's kind of been because it's so popular it's been used by everybody and um, people aren't aware of the risks or the problems with artificial intelligence it, can, it seems a good solution and then it's got loads of bias um so it seems obvious that, regulation should be put in place to make sure it's only used in the right kind of circumstances or it's used in the right way but then you've you you do not want to hinder innovation as well so i've been looking at risk classification frameworks in order to classify artificial intelligence products so that you can identify Basically, based upon how risky they are, what level of regulation is needed, and then how you can mitigate against the risk. So that's kind of the other side of ethical AI.
0: Yeah, and, and are you risk assessing against capabilities of the kind of the data, or is it more you're using this sort of algorithm against this problem, and that's the that's the risky element? How, how does that kind of play out?
1: So the risk is the more the use case. Mm-hmm. It's the so it's not breaking down the product and looking inside it and seeing how risky it is because of how much it might be biased. It's more how is it going to be used and then what risks might be associated with that use. And so I think regulation is looking at it more from that perspective.
0: Yeah. So they they can legislate against certain areas of use rather than certain uh, technologies in that use.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think because the problem with legislating against technologies is that they might be used some. They're going to be used in different contexts, Mm. and if you mass legislate, say that all machine learning tools have to um, have these certain level of standards, then that might be appropriate for a set like the HR sector, recruitment AI that it's not necessarily appropriate for AI that's used um, in a medical context.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, That makes sense. Do you you have any... strong? I was actually in an all-parliamentary group Zoom call on Monday about face tracking. Do you have any strong opinions about that, that we can get out of the way before we kind of (laughs) um, start getting to the end of the podcast?
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) strong opinions. I don't like it.
0: <laughs> good. Okay, done.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good that um it's finally not being used anymore. I I think um there's a problem with profiling people in that way generally. So, doing it on mass using artificial intelligence isn't good.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Great. Then we're agreed. <laughs> um you should be free to be able to walk around with the knowledge that People are not going to know that you're walking around, track you, where you go, public spaces, and uh, and notify the authorities of your movements.
1: I think that's... So there's the privacy concern, Mm. but also concern coming from the bias side of things, where maybe... um, Like one particular side I've been looking at is how algorithms might be biased against people with certain disabilities. Um, So... If someone autistic, they might show certain mannerisms that make them look suspicious, and then they might be flagged. Yeah. Yes, I think problematic from that side as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, there's almost the bias and the, the unrepresentation in the data which reflects on the outcomes. And then we have to be cognizant on how damaging those negatives, those false positives are, you know, mm. putting people over. And I think there was actually a... a example in this meeting on Monday of you know some poor lad getting pulled over by a policeman having not done anything being in the school uniform just because they the system flagged them as a criminal um, because their likeness was misidentified and it's kind of like well that person's going to feel even more negatively against the system the police at that point Um, so there's a human side to it like you were saying with the disabilities as well that these things could be even if they're not abused, they can just have negative impacts on people. Yeah.
1: Yeah, even yeah, just generally stereotyping is quite problematic.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's like a headline, isn't it? <laughs> generally stereotyping people is not good, okay? <laughs> that great. can
1: be the headline for this podcast. yeah
0: <laughs> Stereotyping is bad. <laughs> um great. Um before we um finish this ramble chat about everything machine ethics is there anything else that you want to put out there discuss um before i ask the last question
1: um i don't these are just thank you for having me on here and for putting up with my rambling
0: <laughs> it, it's great I, I love these conversations because um i i, I do feel deeply about machine ethics um, specifically and i love uh, all the all the ai stuff um but the con the the, unop, the open question of machine ethics is really intriguing um to me and so it's really nice to have someone who is uh deeply thinking about it on the podcast. Um before before we leave, uh Rebecca, could you tell me what really excites you and what really scares you about these types of technologies?
1: Um artificial intelligence or so moral machines?
0: Uh, I guess um a function of both.
1: Artificial intelligence, it has the ability capability to um do a lot of good it can in health it can do a lot of good it can speed up maybe boring processes yeah i think it could be used to solve a lot of problems um the thing that scares me is it being seen as it being seen as a something to get power like the race to achieve ai i think that's a bit scary like to get more data um i don't think it should be seen in that way
0: yeah so the, the reasons behind someone trying to to do it might be um worrying
1: um
0: like an arms race situation
1: yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure i mean i feel like we could go on for another 10 minutes on that one but but we'll leave it there thank you again very much um rebecca uh raper where can people find you follow you, read your stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, just search for Rebecca Raper. Um, I have a website as well. Um, and I'm also on Twitter. Um, my Twitter is at Rebecca Raper. I managed to get my name and there's a link to my website. It's through my Twitter. Um, if you want to find out more about the Institute as well, that I work for, that's, um, ethical hyphen AI.ac.uk
0: Awesome. Um, thanks again uh, for coming on the podcast and and having uh, sharing your, your knowledge and your time. So thank you. Thank you too. Hello and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again to Rebecca for coming on and sharing some of her work with us. I thought it was really interesting that Rebecca almost exclusively talked about AI in terms of robots. So she would refer to robots instead of AI or machine learning or these different ideas I think it's just really interesting how some people uh, think of these things differently whereas I always think in the abstracts kind of AI is this system amorphous thing it's interesting that there's an embodied element to a lot of what Rebecca was saying there um, or at least that's what I picked up on. I also thought it's really interesting what you're saying about the risk assessment stuff and also how does one create some moral proof for AI? And it'd be really nice to maybe again, talk of in future more about that and maybe some more technical implementations and, and some ideas about the practicality of some of our ideas and dive deeper into that stuff. Uh, let me know if you'd like to hear more about that in future. Thanks again for listening. And if you'd like to support the channel, then go to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics or you can listen to more episodes at machineethics.net. Thanks again, and see you soon.